Wessex LNCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMC's podcast. My name is Dr Laura Edwards and I am a GP and one of the joint CEOs at Wessex LMC's and I'm joined today by Andy Perbrick, Dr Andy Perbrick, who is the other joint CEO at Wessex LMC's and also a GP. Hi Andy. Hello Laura. So uh, we bring you yet another um, dose of our weekly uh, newsletter uh, in oral form. So uh, we've got quite a grey day I've checked outside our window, but we hope uh, that this will be a cheery podcast that you can listen to and get all your information in one easy format. So we hope that perhaps you might take the opportunity to go out and take a walk, um, get some fresh air, move those muscles and get your information uh, from us in an effective and efficient manner. Anyway, right, without further ado, we've got some fairly meaty things that have landed uh, this week uh, that we're going to chat through. So the first one that we've got uh, is uh, looking at the intro, uh, where we have touched upon a few of the things here, uh, but in particularly the one that is uh, of the moment is uh, accelerated access to records, which is coming in, isn't it? Like a high-speed rocket, Andy. Yep. Well, I, you put me under a little bit of pressure here because you said we're going to be cheery today. And uh, you, you know me, uh, Mr. Optimist. Uh, <laughs> uh, how, do you, how are we cheery about this subject? Um, I think uh, we're approaching that deadline from the 31st of October. It's expected all practices are going to fully enable uh, this function for prospective access to the medical record for most patients over 16. Obviously, there'll be some exclusions, but um, I think it's fair to say that um, the BMA are particularly exercised by by this and have raised repeated concerns around both the rapidity of the, the rollout, but also the fact that um, concerns around potential harm to patients haven't been adequately addressed. And I think they have particular concerns around vulnerable patients uh, in coercive relationships where access to the record may be detrimental to them, but also unintentional uh, access to medical information uh, prospectively that could cause harm or distress to the patient. Um, We have to bear in mind that this access is for prospective records, though, and I I guess one of the salient points that we need to take forward is that when we're writing in the records now, we have to assume that everyone will have access to what we are entering. Uh, And similarly, that goes for hospital uh, colleagues who are writing to us. And certainly as an LMC, we've made all of the local hospitals aware of this. Um, I think a number of practices have already enabled access some months ago. uh, And... um, I think that other practices are have been waiting for some more definitive guidance from the BMA. The BMA guidance is is pretty clear and pretty in depth, and it's suggesting that that you may want to before the thirty first of October bulk code uh, patients so that their access is denied with the one hundred four code and offer an opt in. Uh, a service where patients opt into their medical record. Um, obviously, there are significant workload implications there, but the BMA feel that this is perhaps the um, best way of addressing concerns around uh, responsibilities and potential liabilities that come with being the data controller of those records. Yeah. Um, the long and short of it is you need to do a data protection impact assessment. 
need to update your privacy policy notice. You need to inform your patients via usual communication channels, for example, your website, your waiting room posters, social media, that this access is coming and you need to inform your patients of the steps you've taken, uh, not your patients. And you need to have evidence of, of the that you've taken steps to identify and minimize the risk for those individuals who may be the highest risk uh, from harm as a consequence of access to a prospective record. I think whether you follow the BMA advice or you you choose to follow NHS Digital's advice is very much up to the individual practice um, to decide. I think um, you need to be clear as partners within the practice um, what this means for you and the potential pros and cons, having read the BMA advice and the NHS Digital advice. Yeah, it's it's a really tricky one, isn't it? Because you'd think that everybody at the top would have kind of got all their ducks in a row. And actually what the BMA have pointed out is that potentially ICO position on this versus Secretary of State versus the law don't necessarily all align on this. And we are stuck as the proverbial piggy in the middle, as the data controllers, with a contract that says one thing, but perhaps a law in the ICO that says something else. And, and that's a really uncomfortable place to be. We do know, however, that a number of practices have, have gone ahead and and switched on um, and we've done a podcast with one of those practices uh, that you can listen to of, of what happened um, I think there's kind of a number of angles that people are nervous about one is the workload of people being able to see their records and not necessarily understand the information that's in there or see as you said unanticipated information that's, that's there and then there's the safeguarding angle as well that, that people are aware of and not convinced that there are great solutions in place for that I think another practical action uh, that should be taken is um, that people get familiar with how to um, hide certain consultations from view. Again, we're thinking around safeguarding or if you've got something like a cancer diagnosis that's landed with you but hasn't been explained to the patient yet for some system reason, um, then uh, you, you need to make sure to, to be to be kind um, and to be safe, uh, depending on the scenario around that. So make sure that your staff are aware of how to do that skill. We have that um, on our web page, um, which we can put uh, on the in the little blurb section under our podcast, which has two little videos, one from EMIS and one from System One of how to do that. We tested it out with a crowd last week of uh, clinicians, and quite a few uh, were not aware of how to do that. So um, just do a check uh, with your um, with your teams that they are aware of how to do that um, because it is going to become really pertinent one way or the other. Right, so thank you very much for uh, talking that through with us, Andy. Um, and then uh, let's move on to um, the DDRB and this 6% uplift. We now we talked about this uh, with Will um, uh, last time or the time before around uh, the hopefully kind of good news of uh, the fact that there was uh, some more money coming into general practice. There was this, just for a brief recap, DDRB, obviously doctor and dentist pay review body. Usually they just confine themselves to giving advice around what doctors and dentists um, should be uplifted by, usually which the government unfortunately ignores. Um, this year they decided to not only to accept it, but then for some reason in their press release, spread it to all of the staff, uh, salaried staff in, in primary care, which is brilliant because our staff are working extremely hard. However, then then came the sticky problem of how they were actually planning to pay for that because 6% is quite a large chunk when you multiply it up for, across all the salaried staff and it certainly wasn't going to fit in current GMS uh, envelope. 
So then there were some conversations between the BMA uh, and NHS England uh, and obviously probably the Treasury in the background as well about how that was actually going to happen. And this is the solution that's come out. So um, again, recognising that earlier in the year, there was a 2.1% uplift included in the contract funding for 2023-24. And that is staffing expenses, i.e. not related to GP contractors, GP partners. Um, And so there's been further negotiations and an additional 3.9% of funding is going to be distributed via the global sun again via the staff expenses element of that and we've put sort of some of the uh, detail of that into um, our newsletter there that you can see that the ultimate uplift will be per patient to 104 pounds and 73 pence which is still an absolute bargain isn't it i'm not sure you can insure a hamster or a cat or anything bigger than that for that amount uh, anywhere else um, it's amazing that we managed to uh, ensure our humans in uh, the UK for that, that that sum of money or in England for that sum of money. Um, so, um, Andy, did you want to comment on that at all? Well, yeah, I would say it's positive uh, that there has been an uplift to the global sum. And I think one of the reasons why the BMA negotiated that uplift via the global sum is because that, that funding now is recurrent uh, because it's been put into the global sum. So that is that is a positive take uh, on things. Um, I think practices partners will be wondering uh, how on, and who they pass the uplift onto. I think 6% is a figure that's in the global sum there. We all recognize that probably it's not going to pay a 6% uplift or or subsidize a 6% uplift for all staff when you take into things like the lack of increase in our local enhanced services. Uh, But I think that uh, you have to be mindful that salary doctors in your practice will be working on the contract. Uh, Most of those salary doctors will be working to a a BMA uh, contract. They should have been offered terms no less favorable than the BMA contract. And if that contract states they'll be uh, honouring the DDRB recommendations, then that contract has to be followed and they will be entitled to that 6% uplift. Uh, the contract's silent, then the LMC would suggest that it's in everyone's interest to pass on the uplift. And that would apply to all non-ARS employed staff in the practice as well. Yeah, so it's worth just picking that out, isn't it? ARS staff had 5% agreed earlier in the year because they're under agenda for change. Um, and uh, there's a nice little bit there also um, around the trainers grant. So again, a little positive there that uh, that didn't form into the DDRB's recommendations. But however, it has been agreed that will go up by 6%, which is good news. Unfortunately, uh, we haven't had the same uplift for sickness and parental leave, which is a bit of a shame. Again, they were a great win when they came in, uh, that they were recognised, but they're beginning to lose their value because they just keep refusing to uplift them at all. Um, as an LMC, we would say we've noted about the enhanced services um, and uh, we have pushed back to the RCB saying, actually, you know, this is now, you want you want primary care to step into this space and do all of this work. You, you need to um, uplift appropriately we've not had the positive answers we were hoping for yet from icbs i think a number of them are in difficult financial places however if they want this work to continue in primary care unless it diminishes in value with this then um then uh, and then people won't do it anymore because it won't be financially sustainable then we look forward to some continued conversations with them about the realistic costs in primary care so we are continuing to represent and advocate on your behalf 
And there is a, a just one other factor to consider here. So GPC England have negotiated this additional £233 million investment in the global sum with the intention that it would be passed on to staff in the form of pay-up lifts. And there is a feeling that we're being watched so that if it transpires that this doesn't occur, then it could impact GPC England's ability to secure substantive uplifts to the global sum in the next round of contract negotiations. Because one of the arguments from NHS England previously is that when we increase your global sum, uh, that funding tends to go into partners' pockets. We all know that's not true, um, but that is a perception that is um, put to us frequently. Yeah, it's a really, really old perception, isn't it, that keeps hanging around. And again, that's, you know, again, talking to some people, that's why the PCN does came as it is, is that the money was separated out, so that couldn't happen. Um, but it's about trust. And actually, again, there needs to be trust. I guess they're asking for this as a demonstration of trust that if they pass this money on in the global sum, does it does it go through, as GP leaders are saying, uh, and we can change that perception so that, that trust is rebuilt uh, nationally. So, but it, as oh, you say, it works both ways as well, because yeah. I think that the ICBs need to recognise that the services we deliver come at a significant cost as well. And we need to see commensurate increase in the funding there uh, to realistically pay for the, the cost of delivering those services, especially mm-hmm. around local enhanced services. And that goes for the lo- local authority, local enhanced services yeah. as well. Yeah, and we're beginning to see those fall kind of way, way below actual costs. And we know that people work really hard in general practice and they really want to do the best for their patients. So they make quite hard decisions at some times, but it's the, the paid the kind of pay gap now of what is getting paid for all these services versus what they actually cost is getting so much that we are seeing people make really, really hard choices around this. Um, and you were being asked to act as businesses and you do have to act as businesses. Um and, and look at this. Otherwise, you, you just won't be financially sustainable. So this is something we push as an LMC is to, is to have those, uh, make those calculations, have those difficult decisions. Right. Um, we're moving on now to the new BMA guidance for sessional GPs. It's been a busy week for uh, the BMA. <laughs> Um, so this has come from the Sessional GPs Committee um, and uh, GPC England, um, which has come out with some new guidance and support for managing workload and overtime for salary GPs. And they have a nice uh, new w- website page which has that on. Um, and um, I think this came from a survey. I'm not just mentioned on that page, but saying that uh, on average, salary GPs were working 25% extra over their contracted hours. And this was felt to be unfair. Um, and uh, again, in contrast really to uh, that that which happens in secondary care and that uh, salary GPs are employees and therefore they should have job plans and there should be mechanisms uh, if they are working over and above their job plan on a regular basis that um, that th- this is kind of taken into account in some way. Um, so uh, this is guidance to help have those conversations um, and uh, and to um, and look at that. Um, and we think this is obviously, again, you've been at GPC and I don't know if you want to comment on this. It's always difficult for a, a union that represents both employers and employees at the same time. This is probably stepping into that chasm. Any any thoughts, Sandy? Well, I, I sit here as a GP partner as well. And I think for GP partners, it'd be difficult not to feel that the guidance, this guidance and the 6% payout list for staff 
puts yet more pressure on the partnership. So with my partnership hat, hat on, I'm saying this feels unfair. And then I guess with my GP hat on, my LMC hat on, I say, well, actually, you know what? Doctors have gone above and beyond for their patients from time, uh, you know, from time beginning. And the NHS has relied on this, really. Uh, their professional expectation has until recently been driven by vocation, but with an element of choice. I think most of us would say currently we don't have any choice and the necessity to work beyond safe working limits is causing significant physical and psychological injury to the entire workforce. So actually, could this um, recognition that the salaried doctors have got the right to work within their job description actually empower partners to go back to the commissioner and say, you need to increase investment. I've got responsibility to protect my entire staff uh, and I'll be implementing BMA safe working um, because of that. So I guess there are two ways of looking at uh, everything, aren't they? And I try and mm -hmm. um, uh, think about what you would think like, uh, Laura, and for once try and think more positively. Well, and I think, you know, again, thinking uh, wider on this, this is the last point where we need there to be a division in, in, the, in the profession. And actually, this isn't, you know, this is, as you said, there's a lesson really for everyone in this is that it's not really reasonable to expect anyone to be constantly overwhelmed with work. We, we have kind of tried that approach. Uh, and it's resulting in large amounts of our workforce leaving. So it's it's not a it's not a great approach. And if we lose the workforce, then again, although there's a kind of short term thing of brilliant from a patient perspective, I can see my I can see my GP uh, because they're they're working however many hours that are crazy hours in a day. Actually, it's not sustainable, and that GP then leaves, and then there isn't a GP for um, that patient to see. Uh, so everybody loses in the end. So I think this speaks again, doesn't it, into our space around safer working. Uh, which you mentioned uh, we have a podcast on that and two practices who've not called it safer working but who try to to sort of again really reflect on safe limits of workload and making that workload manageable um, and controlled uh, which again is just kind of reasonable isn't it um, and actually the effects of that which were really positive not only for the workforce and the practice but also for the patients um, so do have a listen to that that's on our podcast channel um, and we hope that this speaks into that space as well um, we need partners and salary to be working together and perhaps this is the start of a conversation of what is a reasonable workload for everyone in your practice um, and that you make these changes together as a workforce. And stepping outside of my partnership role in a purely dispassionate um, space, I would say that salary doctors are entitled to a job plan that defines the work yeah. that they're expected to undertake. They choose to forego potentially higher earnings of partnership for that defined responsibility uh, and boundaries that their contracts provide. And that's the whole uh, purpose of being salaried. Uh, and I would also suggest that as is evidenced by the survey, the majority of our salary colleagues go above and beyond every day. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, an important part of the workforce. Right. Okay. We're moving on to GPC England meeting summary. I feel like we might have covered some of the stuff that might have been discussed at GPC England. Um, but was there anything else that you wanted to bring to our attention, Andy? There's a link to the summary in the newsletter for those of you who'd like to read it in more detail. I think it's about four sides of April, you said to me. But is there anything you'd like to highlight? 
well, we have a newly elected GPC England officer team. So uh, the head of the team is Dr. Katie Bramwell Stainer. She's chair of General Practitioner Committee England now. Uh, she's also chief executive of Cambridgeshire LMCs, a uh, very experienced uh, GP uh, and member of the BMA. Um, and her uh, deputy chairs, uh, Dr. Samira Anan, uh, Dr. Julius Parker, and Dr. David Wrigley, who all are very experienced working within the BMA uh, and have connections with their local LMCs as well. So they are, um, I would suggest, uh, a very uh, robust uh, and well-equipped team to lead us forward in, in contract negotiations, both in the shorter term and the longer term. I think at that GPC meeting, we talked about the timeline for the next 12 months. Uh, negotiations for our, our current contract will hopefully be completed around the end of December and negotiations for our new contract for 25-26 will begin around about October 24, understanding that there's likely to be a general election around November 24. And I think the BMA are very mindful that manifestos are being written now by our political parties with the anticipation of a general election. So now is the time for us to influence those manifestos. And the likelihood is that um, BMA will be surveying all GPs in November um, uh, for, an, for their opinion around what should be in the uh, new contracts. And with the results of that survey being published in early 2024, the BMA will then publish its own manifesto, which hopefully will influence the electoral narrative. Excellent. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. So we wish the uh, new team lots of luck. It's challenging times already. They came in and hit hit some pretty tough things already uh, in the first few weeks. Um, and uh, we've got some uh, fairly uh, big things coming up ahead. So we, uh, we as you said, really experienced team. Um, so it's um, great to have them at the helm and uh, we wish them luck uh, in all the future negotiations because general practice uh, needs it and so do our patients. Right, that moves us swiftly onto the DWP Fitnote Guidance. They've published uh, new guidance for GPs and the healthcare professionals. Uh, they, they've, as usual, they've got kind of quite a plethora of stuff. We've put the link there. Uh, we think the kind of useful bits is that they've um, again reminded that it doesn't have to be now a doctor that signs the Fitnote. Uh, you can have some other professionals, so pharmacist, uh, occupational therapist, or a physio. Again, this little reminder to secondary care that, of course, they should be and could be doing this. So we will take that and. Uh, use that opportunity to remind our colleagues in secondary care as well and nurses laura nurses and nurses oh my nurses. goodness sorry i'm not reading it so i knew there was one that was missing out of my brain thank you for filling that in um so uh, we've got a much broader range of healthcare professionals that can now do this which is really helpful because um again it makes sense doesn't it uh, so we will be reminding uh, again those wider than us of all of those groups that can now uh, sign a fit note uh, if you want to look at any of the detail there's quite a lot of detail there um, uh, on those web pages, and it then does got, point. It does pointedly say that actually the health professional that's seeing the patient is the best one mm, to provide the fit note. Absolutely, uh, and that uh, uh, health professionals shouldn't be signposting patients to other healthcare professionals in order to obtain a sick note. So that kind of plays into what we the, the drum we've been banging for quite a long time. Yeah. So if you come across any of that, there is now something you can cut and paste and send a web link to saying this is not what you should be doing. We're happy as an LMC to obviously support you in those conversations because it makes sense for us and it makes sense for the patient. They're not being pushed from pillar to post. 
Um, so uh, we've then moved swiftly on to healthier together. This is something uh, just for Hampshire and Isle of Wight practices. I'm not sure we've made that clear um, in our newsletter, uh, but the Healthier Together website, everybody can have a look at. It's an amazing source of really reliable advice uh, made jointly between paediatrics and um, general practice. Uh, really sensible advice uh, of when parents need to seek help. Um, in the Hampshire and Isle of Wight area, there's a, an option to have an app that uh, parents can use that then join links in directly with practices and their triage processing. Um, so uh, it helps parents assess the um, severity of their child's illness. Um, so if you're in Hampshire Isle of Wight area, there's a link in there if you would like to get on board with that ahead of the winter respiratory viruses heading our way. And we've done a podcast with Sanjay Patel, uh, who, who leads around that, uh, just filling in on that. So um, do have a listen to that. Then we have a quick reminder of looking after you, which are... Um, a service that you can access coaching through, but they've also got some peer wellbeing sessions as well. Um, so do have a look at that and think about that for your team and whether that would be um, applicable to anyone in your team. Uh, and then we move on to a little update of some of our education events coming up. We have got our how-to events. We've got wondering how general practice actually works events. So again, think about this for yourself or maybe if you've got any new members of your team um, who it might be useful uh, to know these things. So we've got them starting in January onwards. So you've got some time to, to make a decision to sign up. We are looking at the regulations. What are the regulations? What are NHS and NHS contracts actually say? We've got one looking at finance, uh, the income streams and efficiencies, one around leadership and success, uh, one around the legal considerations to running a partnership and partnership agreements. Um, and then we've also got one on premises and one on PCNs. We've had some brilliant feedback before. One that I'll pick out is a fantastically useful webinar series, probably the best I've attended in a long while. So do have a look at those. Uh, they are fully funded by the LMC because we think it's really important that people know um, how this stuff works. Uh, so we do support this. So do have a look. We've got some fantastic speakers coming along to that. Um, so do have a look at that and sign up for them. And then we've got another couple of events. Do you sometimes struggle with patient conversations? Um, so this is things where you're trying to explain to patients that a diagnosis is perhaps a lifelong progressive condition and getting that across um, and expectations around short and long-term futures so where perhaps just taking a drug isn't actually just going to cure it and what will happen when symptoms worsen so this is about having those difficult conversations um, and that is for GPs, AMPs, practice nurses and any other clinicians who are regularly discussing long-term conditions and their effects with patients and then uh, we have something around effective appraisals, a two-day course that is happening uh, in the end of January. Um, so do have a look at that. Right. And that brings us to the end. Andy's just got one more comment. It's just around the how-to webinars, just to say that they will be recorded and they will be uh, available to watch back free of charge on the website as they're produced. So if you can't attend the webinars live, then... Um, they are there as a resource and again free because we feel they are so important. Absolutely. And they are three hours. So um, that sounds like quite a long time. But I have to say when we've gone through the before, they often fly by because of the amount of content that we um, try and put into those, recognising you've got so much to do with your days out there. Um, so we do try and be effective and efficient with the content. But for the um, trainers out there, they're also mm -hmm. good to use in tutorial settings or, or yeah, elements of the um, webinars and tutorials. What a good idea. Yes, a little nugget there. Um, so, uh, yes, you could use uh, that as, to, as a tutorial, a base of a tutorial. Loads of information content there. 
Right, so that brings us to the end of our newsletter. Um, we hope that you have a good week out there in general practice. Uh, let's hope that it doesn't remain quite as chilly as it has been so far. It would be nice if it um, wasn't freezing or if it is that we uh, get to switch our, our heating on and stay warm. So stay warm, stay safe, and we'll uh, hope to have you on one of our newsletters again soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.